Well, hey everyone, great to be with you today. We're coming to you from our Foxborough campus, which is appropriate since this month marks the third anniversary of the grand opening of this campus. As I drove in today, I was remembering driving in for the first time four years or so ago, wondering if, if anything could happen here. And, and look what God has done. So we're so grateful for all of you who have made this possible, those of you who are part of the campus and those of you who help it happen by your prayers and your gifts. Great story, and we're looking forward to what the future holds. And a quick shout out to those who are gathered for the watch party there in Lexington. We had a small but enthusiastic group last Sunday, folks from a variety of campuses. It felt really good to see each other and connect a little bit in worship in the parking lot afterwards. So we'll be holding those watch gatherings today and next Sunday, and then we'll kind of take stock and see what our next steps might be. Well, today we are finishing up our Disrupted series, which we have subtitled, Following Jesus Outside the Box. Now, we're all familiar with that expression, outside the box. It's a metaphor used to describe creative thinking or innovative solutions to vexing problems. But do you know where that metaphor originated? Most people trace it back to a nine-dot puzzle that was popularized by business consultants back in the 1960s. And it goes something like this. You have these nine dots, a grid, a box of sorts. And the challenge, the puzzle, is to try to connect all nine dots with only four lines and without lifting up your pencil. So it seems easy, but turns out no matter which four lines you draw, it always seems that there's one dot that's still left outside and not connected. You can try it this way. And now you got two dots left over. So no matter how many times you try it, you still have that dot left over. Turns out the only way to solve the problem is to extend the lines beyond the box itself. Two, three, four. And now all the dots are put together. So the lesson is pretty obvious. When it comes to solving problems, we often get stuck in these predictable patterns of thinking and acting. But sometimes the only way to solve a problem is to step outside those familiar patterns and see and do things in a new way. So what does all this have to do with disruption and with following Jesus? Well, let's say that these dots represent the various aspects of our lives, work, family, friendship, finances, leisure time, health, church, whatever. We spend most of our lives trying to connect all these dots in a way that's, that's meaningful and, and satisfying and even beautiful. We're trying to make sense out of our complicated lives. The problem is we tend to get stuck in these familiar and sometimes frantic routines, running from one thing to another, kind of like the plate spinner that Ruthie and Taylor talked about last week. And it often doesn't feel very meaningful or satisfying or beautiful. What disruption does is to force us outside the box. It knocks us out of our normal, predictable patterns of living and forces us to see and do things differently. And, and, and that's what this pandemic has done. It's, it's forced us out of our familiar routines and our comfortable boxes. 
We can't just send our kids off to school to get educated and cared for. We can't run to the mall or the movies to entertain ourselves. We can't go to church to connect with God and each other. And, and while all of that is uncomfortable and frustrating and inconvenient, it's really forcing us to find other ways of doing those things, of, of educating our kids and entertaining ourselves and connecting with God. So disruption can lead to discovery if we handle it right. And here's the good news. Jesus lives outside the box. As you make your way through the Gospels, you discover that Jesus is always saying and doing things differently than, than everyone around him. At every turn, he challenges the familiar, predictable, stereotypical ways of thinking about, about work and family and friendship and money and health and, and even faith. So as difficult and disorienting as this season is, as, as disruptive as it is to be knocked out of our boxes, if we will look and listen, we'll find that Jesus is waiting for us there, outside the box. And if we follow him, he can lead us from disruption to discovery. So that's what this year is all about here at Grace, finding and following the way of Jesus. And we've begun that journey by identifying a tool that we're calling the upward spiral of spiritual reformation. Now, this is a tool you can use to, to apply to any disruption in your life, not just a pandemic, any, any surprising set of circumstances at home or work or your personal life. Uh, think of it like a Swiss army knife for, for spiritual growth in hard times. So today, we're gonna talk about the final turn in that spiral, which we're calling discovering life. And we're going to meet one of the most endearing characters we find in the Bible, a man whose life was changed for the better by an out-of-the-box encounter with Jesus. And I think it's going to help all of us connect the dots of our own lives in this disruptive season we find ourselves in. So let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, where we meet a man named Zacchaeus. We'll pick it up right here at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where he, we know he's going to be arrested and ultimately put to death. Now his disciples don't really understand that yet. They're hoping he's going to Jerusalem to take charge, to start a revolution. And, and that's what most people are hoping. Well, on their way to Jerusalem, they have to pass through Jericho, which was a small but thriving city outside of Jerusalem. So when word spreads that this rabble-rousing rabbi Jesus is passing through, crowds begin to gather and line the streets. Now, it's a politically charged moment. And we know something about that these days, don't we? There's a certain amount of, of, of energy, of of controversy surrounding Jesus and his posse as they pass through town. In other words, it was a disruption. People are leaving their shops, coming out of their homes to, to fill the streets and get a glimpse of Jesus. And that disruption gets the attention of this man named Zacchaeus. 
Now we're told that he was a chief tax collector and wealthy. Now we've all heard enough sermons to know that tax collectors were generally considered to be the bad guys. They ratted out their neighbors, they gouged people for money, they colluded with the enemy, Rome. So, so they weren't well liked. Now Luke describes him as a chief tax collector. Uh, he might just as, well, just as well have called him chief traitor or, or chief extortionist or chief rat. But, but, but understand that aside from that, Zacchaeus was probably living a pretty comfortable life. I mean, he's successful for one thing, right? I mean, he's, he's risen through the ranks to become chief tax collector of a, of a good-sized city. That means he's sitting atop the tax-collecting pyramid, getting a cut from all the other tax collectors. So he probably doesn't have to work all that hard anymore. He's his own boss. For another thing, he, he, he's, he's wealthy. Uh, and that solves a lot of problems, doesn't it? It means he probably has a comfortable home, nice clothes, and a late-model chariot, or whatever he used to get around town. And even though a lot of people didn't like him, he still had plenty of friends. Money will do that for you. And it looks like he went to plenty of parties. So, returning to our metaphor, we might say that this man Zacchaeus was living in a pretty comfortable box. He had all the pieces in place for a happy life. But then this disruption happens. Jesus shows up. There's a commotion in town. Now, whether Zacchaeus has heard of Jesus before, we don't know. But when Jesus passes through and, there, and there's this commotion, it, it, it shakes Zacchaeus out of his familiar routine, sends him out into the street to, to see what's going on. So let's pick up the story here at verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now talk about outside the box. A grown man running through the streets like, like a kid who just stole an apple. A chief tax collector climbing a tree in broad daylight, his knobby knees on display for the whole town to see. I mean, what would have prompted this unusual behavior? Apparently, this disruption exposed something in Zacchaeus' life, some need, some hurt. Remember what we said about disruption a few weeks ago, how it exposes things, how it reveals what's going on beneath the surface, what's been hidden, what we didn't want to face? Apparently, Zacchaeus' box isn't quite as comfortable as it looks. Something's missing. Something's not right. Maybe it's, maybe it's his guilty conscience. Maybe it's the fact that so many people don't like him. Maybe he's tired of short guy jokes. Or maybe it's the distance he senses between himself and God. Whatever it is, the, the sudden appearance of this itinerant preacher, and the commotion surrounding him forces Zacchaeus to do something very literally out of the box. He climbs a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, before we go any further, let's just pause for a moment here and, and, and try to find ourselves in this story. 
Now, most of us probably would like being compared to a chief extortionist. And many of us probably wouldn't consider ourselves wealthy. But I think it's safe to say that, that most of us have most of the pieces in place for a happy life. We've got jobs and, and homes and friends and a, and a familiar and comfortable routine. In other words, we, we live in a pretty comfortable box. Or at least we did until about seven months ago when the coronavirus knocked us out of those routines and into a new normal that, that doesn't feel very normal at all. And nothing's the same. Nothing's predictable. Work, parenting, finances, health and safety, church, nothing's the same. We're, we're, we're on edge. <laughs> we feel vulnerable. Our mortality has been exposed. Our relationships have been strained. It, it feels harder than ever to connect the dots of our lives in a meaningful way. Toss in a contentious election and, and, and racial strife and that disruption can easily send us into a tailspin, a downward spiral of negativity and fear and, and, and even divisiveness. Or that disruption can make us curious. It can prompt us to look and listen for answers in new ways and, and in new places. And the good news, as Zacchaeus is about to discover, is that Jesus is waiting for us outside the box, in that uncomfortable place. And he can lead us to new and better things. So let's pick up the story at uh, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Well, now it's Jesus' turn to step outside the box. I mean, his reaction to Zacchaeus is completely unexpected. I mean, any self-respecting rabbi would have nothing to do with, with a man like Zacchaeus, wouldn't even be seen talking to this kind of a man, let alone going to his house for dinner. But to everyone's surprise, Jesus stops, looks up in the tree, and calls Zacchaeus by name. And he had to be smiling as he said it, if not, if not laughing out loud. Well, the people were scandalized. Why would a rabbi want anything to do with a scoundrel like Zacchaeus? And Zacchaeus, I think, was amazed. I mean, how did Jesus know his name? How did Jesus know what was going on inside of him? How, how desperate he was to be seen, to be known. And Jesus not only knows him, Jesus likes him, wants to have dinner with him and to meet his friends. This is a divine encounter. And that's the second turn in this upward spiral we've been talking about. See, that's what disruption does. It, it sets the stage for an encounter with God. Like, like hardened soil that's been turned over by the plow, it creates space for, for God to speak into our lives, 
to, to plant seeds of faith, to reveal himself in fresh ways. That day, outside the box, Zacchaeus and the crowd discovered truths about God they'd never really understood before. They discovered that God actually cares for people who are far from him, who are confused or in trouble or living in foolish and, and even terrible ways. They discovered that, that whenever a person turns toward God, they discover that God has already been looking for them. They discovered that on any given day, in any given moment, Jesus can show up in a person's life and change it for the better. Well, at the end of the service today, we're going to be seeing some people be baptized as a public declaration of their faith in Christ. And as I was reading over their stories, it struck me how many of them encountered God because of or in the midst of some disruption in their lives. Anna is a young woman who's, who's grown up at Grace Chapel and been following Jesus for, for most of her life. But she points to the loss of her younger sister to cancer many years ago as a transformative moment in her journey. Now, now I, re I remember Erica's passing, how, how hard it was for, for her family, how hard it was for, for all of us. Anna was only nine years old at the time. And, and I remember wondering how all of this would impact her, her own faith and, and her life. Uh, listen to what she writes as she looks back on that time. Not long before Jesus called my sister home, she told us how she saw Jesus and all the people. And that memory has continued to fill me with peace in seemingly hopeless times. If my sister, who was going home at age seven, wasn't afraid, I could live as an unafraid follower of Jesus, too. And Anna goes on to explain that it took time and struggle for her to, to grow into that faith. But, but, but the seed of that faith was planted by an encounter with God in one of the most disruptive moments a person can experience, the loss of a loved one. And in a similar way, a woman named Barbara points to her uncle's funeral, which brought her to Grace Chapel for the first time. She writes, It was the most beautiful service I've ever experienced. A few weeks later, I decided to go to church with my aunt to offer support for her loss. I didn't realize that I was also seeking God to help me with my own struggles. That day changed me. For the first time, I felt an inner peace, knowing that I wasn't alone and that God was with me. Again, a disruption, the loss of a loved one, but it led to a surprising and unexpected encounter with God. Like Zacchaeus, she discovered things about God she never knew before, that, that God was actually looking for her, that God was with her. A middle schooler named Dylan Describes growing up in a Christian home, going to, to Kidstown here at Grace and, and youth group. Everything seemed fine. Then COVID hit, he writes. I felt myself getting more and more scared about getting the virus and having something happen to me or my family. He 
goes on to talk about doing school online and church online. My world was turned upside down. I was getting more and more anxious and thinking negatively. After a couple of long talks with my parents, we turned to God. I wonder how many of us can relate to the, the fear and the anxiety and, and the negativity of this season. I wonder how many of us have found ourselves turning to God and open to God, maybe like never before. Now, we may not be climbing sycamore trees in broad daylight, but we're looking and listening for God in new ways, outside the box of our normal ways and our normal experiences, like like doing church at home on our couch. Well, as Dylan reminds us, that divine encounter often leads to a decisive moment when we stop what we're doing and turn to God. And that's what happens to Zacchaeus. Let's pick up the story at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, Luke doesn't give us all the details, but but apparently Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house for dinner, presumably with with his disciples and some of those tax-collecting cronies. And we don't know what they talked about over dinner, but at a certain point, Zacchaeus makes a decision. He decides he can't or won't go on living the way he's been living. So he repents. He stops and turns to God. Uh, We described it a couple of weeks ago as a pull-off-the-road-and-do-business-with-God kind of a moment. And maybe this disruptive season has exposed some things in your life, that things that need to change. Maybe some habits that you need to drop. Some relationships that need to be healed. Attitudes that aren't healthy for you or for the people around you. We actually gave ourselves some time at the end of the service a couple of Sundays ago to to name some of those sins and failures, to bring them to God and and receive his forgiveness. And and last Sunday night, about 100 folks from all around Grace Chapel joined us on Zoom for a time of prayer and repentance. It was really meaningful. So can I, can I suggest that, that we just continue in that spirit of, of repentance and prayer in this season? As, as, as we've said, it's a formative and reformative time for us, individually and collectively. Let's not miss this opportunity to pull off the road and do business with God if we need to do that. Well, that decisive moment leads to the next turn in the spiral which is to do something different. And Ruthie and Taylor helped us understand that last week as uh, we watched two sisters, Mary and Martha, break out of their culturally defined boxes and become full-fledged disciples of Jesus. And and that's what Zacchaeus does here. He he breaks out of the box. He he promises to, to give away half his possessions and to pay back anyone he has cheated four times over. Now talk about doing something different. 
a tax collector giving money away, an extortionist making restitution. Do you remember that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza decides that from now on, he's going to do the exact opposite of what he's always done, and it changes his life? Well, that's what this is like for Zacchaeus. It's a complete change of direction. So I wonder, what will you do differently as a result of this disruptive season we're living through? How might it change your priorities, your family life, your relationship with your neighbors? How, how might it change your views on race or politics? How might it change the way you relate to God and his people? A couple weeks ago, we talked about John Tyson, uh, the pastor from New York who, who thinks we might have missed our moment for repentance and renewal. I didn't share with you last time one of his most vivid and disturbing comments. He says, Shame on us if 50 years from now, when our grandchildren ask us, what did you do in the coronavirus? And all you can do is list out the shows you watched on Netflix. And that's what COVID amounted to for you. Friends, Let's not let that happen to us. Let's not miss the opportunity we have here and now, as Zacchaeus puts it, to do something different with our lives, with our homes, with our money, with our careers, with our church. Let's not miss the opportunity to discover life outside whatever boxes we might be stuck in. Because that's where this whole thing is leading. That's where the upward spiral takes us. Discovering life. Discovering life the way it was meant to be lived. Connecting the dots in ways that are meaningful and satisfying and, and even beautiful. I love the way the old Jesus film portrays this scene. Now, I, I found it online and, and I actually watched it again. And, and it, if you Google Jesus film Zacchaeus, you can find the clip, and, and it's worth watching. Now, now you have to get past the, uh, the well-coiffed Anglo-Saxon Jesus, but, but, but beyond that, I think the, the, the scene really captures the emotion of what happens there. Uh, we see Jesus and Zacchaeus talking at the dinner table, and suddenly Zacchaeus rises to his feet. And when he announces that he's going to give half his money away, the table bursts into laughter, including Jesus. And they watch in wonder as he, as he pulls his money bag out from a hiding place in the wall and begins handing out money to the crowd outside the house. There's joy and laughter everywhere. And at that moment, Jesus speaks and he says, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Well, you know what salvation means. It means forgiveness. It means freedom. It means a fresh start. It means life in all its fullness. Imagine how different life is going to be for Zacchaeus from this moment on 
now that he's discovered the joy of, of generosity. How different it's going to be for everyone who knows him, for everyone who works for him, everyone in the whole city of Jericho. Finally, Zacchaeus knows who he is. He's not Zacchaeus, the chief extortionist. He's Zacchaeus, child of God. Finally, he knows who he is. He knows what his life is about. He's able to connect the dots. That day, Zacchaeus discovered life. Because in a disruptive moment, he turned to God and dared to do something different. And a similar thing has happened for, for all the folks who are being baptized today. Listen to what happened to, to Barbara after that funeral she attended for her uncle. She writes, It took a few more weeks for me to feel comfortable going to church to learn about Jesus. It took me even longer to tell anybody what I was doing. I thought they would think I lost my mind. <laughs> Sounds like she was feeling outside the box at that point. But I decided to participate in Alpha and expand my knowledge about Jesus. I now pray every day and, and even read the Bible because I want to, not because I have to. I'm still on this journey, but I can honestly say I'm a much better person since I've decided to follow Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to hear from uh, the rest of our folks, and, and they're all going to be telling a very similar kind of story an upward journey from disruption to discovery. Now, you know what I love about this? Years from now, when someone asks one of them what they did in the coronavirus, they won't have to list off the shows they watched on Netflix. They'll be able to say, that was the year I was baptized and decided to follow Jesus with my whole heart. What will you say years from now when someone asks you, what did you do during the great disruption? Wouldn't it be great if, if you could say, oh, that's when we started praying together as a family. Or that was the year I finally gave up fill in the blank. Uh, that was the year we really got to know our neighbors. Oh, that was the year I finally took the Alpha course. That was the year I began a friendship with someone who's different from me. That was the year our church rediscovered itself. If you are sensing that this is a decisive moment for you, and you're ready to to follow Jesus or, or to be baptized or to join an alpha group, just shoot me an email, brian with a y at grace.org. I'd love to help you take your next step, even if you don't know what your next step is yet. And if you're sensing that this is a decisive moment for your church, for Grace Chapel, I'll invite you to, to keep this conversation going around your dinner table, with your small group, with your friendship circle. I'll invite you to join us for our next prayer gathering on Sunday night, November 8th. Because we discover life when we follow Jesus out of the box to new and better things.
Well, right now, we're finally going to get to witness those baptisms I've been talking about. As a handful of people publicly declare their faith in Christ and their desire to follow him with their whole hearts for their whole lives. Now, we do want you to know that we took all the appropriate safety precautions as we performed these baptisms. Everyone wore masks, except for the moment they were going underwater. People stayed socially distant, and, and whenever possible, a family member did the baptism. The water was treated according to CDC recommendations. And hardest of all, there was no hugging after the baptisms. But there was lots of joy, as you're about to see. <laughs> 